So, Mark. Yes? In July of 2019, we started an episode by thinking about our favorite time travel devices, but I want to expand things somewhat. What is your favorite time travel story? So, in London, I became friends with someone who is lived in Japan and speaks Japanese, and so she encouraged me to start watching more Japanese movies, considering getting into anime, and currently in the process of deciding if I want to get into anime. But she she got you to consider considering it. (laughs) Exactly. But she showed me this movie called Your Name, which is a Japanese movie that I really loved. It's also, like, insane, and I would definitely recommend it. And there's so many twists and turns that I just didn't see coming at all, except at one point... I figured out, and this is a spoiler, and I mean the fact that I brought it up as a spoiler, is there was one point where I just yelled out, there's time travel now too? And my friend Julia turns to me because we're watching it with the group and just goes, shut up, shut the f*** up. And I was like, what do you mean? And I found out apparently it wasn't obvious to everyone else because no one else had figured it out that time travel was happening. Like, I thought it was like obvious and everyone else was like, whoa big reveal when it was actually revealed but julia was so funny like i'll never forget when julia looks at me and just goes mark shut the fuck up when i said that and that is my favorite time travel story now mostly because of julia just looking at me and saying that that is fantastic my favorite time travel story is of course back to the future subject of a future two-hour episode because <laughs> the movie is it's amazing it's near perfect and it uses its time travel incredibly well with clear rules. It's awesome. And it, it uses time travel to let white people invent rock and roll. I mean, that's the fundamental problem with Robert Zemeckis in general, because <laughs> not too long later, he makes Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> I also, of course, love all the use of time travel in Interstellar. I've been rewatching Christopher Nolan in honor of Tenet, which hopefully by the time this episode is released, has not been released, because I would like to see it in a theater. The most recent update I've seen about it is the distributors are now questioning whether they will release it on August 12th. So, unlikely. As of today, there was, like, kind of unsourced people creating murmurs on Deadline and stuff, which suggests that they will push it again. We are recording this in advance. I have no idea when this episode is actually coming out. This comes out at the end of August. I will be back in school by the time this episode comes out, but hopefully I will not be literally in school. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Would be good. Stay home, people. Fiona? Uh, my favorite is a movie called About Time with Rachel McAdams and Donald Gleason. A Richard Curtis movie. I knew that one would come up. Honestly, I love that movie so much. When I saw it in theaters, I did not realize that it was a time-traveling movie, and so that was a big surprise when I went Fiona, to the Fiona, the movie's about time. It tells you on the poster. No, but if you... Okay, I heard about the movie in a radio trailer on my way to work one day, and I was like, oh, this sounds like a fun romantic maybe comedy movies yeah sounds great maybe about time means like oh it's about time they found their love or whatever and then i saw the movie and it was absolutely not what i was expecting but honestly i think a hundred times better than what i was expecting well i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah i mean it does sound like a movie that's about time is less about time and more like oh it's about time exactly you know you're 28 years old it's about time (laughs) You probably made a marriage pact. (laughs) 
It feels like one of those meaningless rom-com titles, like Something's Gotta Give, that tells you nothing about the movie you're about to watch, but is in fact screaming (laughs) it at you. Yeah. So many layers. So clever. It's just, it's so smart. I feel like I need to watch it. Wait, you haven't seen it? No. Everyone recommends it. And I do think that Domhnall Gleeson is worth watching for two hours, so. That's what we could maybe um, do on the show. Peter Rabbit? How dare you bring that up? I have gone... (laughs) months without thinking about that movie and you just waltz in here and remind me that it exists i've not even seen it mark i am sometimes trying to find like kernels of goodness that have come to me in this time and one of them is that the delay of peter rabbit to the runaway to some future means that now you have returned to the united states so we can go see it together as we saw the first peter rabbit together (laughs) Oh my god. Except hopefully this time we need to find a screening where there aren't actually a full theater of children (laughs) preventing us from screaming in anger and having to text (laughs) each other about how terrible the movie is. You guys texted during the movie? It is my only experience openly texting during a movie. We needed it. (laughs) It had to happen. Fiona. I don't know if you understand how bad this is, but also there were so many children and some right next to me. I could not keep it to myself. (laughs) It was a real problem. The only other time I've so openly used my phone in the theater is when I was the only person watching Green Book and I got so bored that I started just (laughs) scrolling Twitter in the movie theater because I was the only one there and I was so not into it. That's amazing. It is fun being the only one there. I saw The Good Liar in an empty theater last November and just yelled at the movie the whole time. It was a blast. (laughs) I've never been the only person, but I've been the only group before. It's so fun being the only person because who cares what you do yeah yeah the worst is when you want to be the only person and then you find out last minute that one other person has booked a ticket for your showing and you You know what else like that's happened to me and they're close enough where i get very frustrated one time my mom and more and i went to see uh, a really bad movie it was called aloha we were the only people in the theater <laughs> and we had to go ask them to start the movie because they didn't realize anyone was in the theater. That was like when I saw The Kid Who Would Be King opening weekend. A lovely movie, by the way. Highly recommend it. It feels like the best thing you'd accidentally rent from Blockbuster. Like it is exactly that mm-hmm. zone of a movie you would have loved as a kid. And I mean you generally, but it was like me and then obviously like a bunch of like parents and their kids and the movie didn't start on time, and then there were audio issues. So I kept going and, like, complaining to the workers. And I was like, it's kind of weird that it's, like, this adult man here alone complaining that they won't get the children's movie working right. That's amazing. When I saw The Farewell, I booked it, and I was alone. It was a 1045 screening on, like, a Thursday. 1045 a.m., right? A.m. And so I booked it alone. I get there. Movie starts. There's like three other people in the theater. And then I was annoyed because one man booked a seat like two down from me. I was like, the theater's so empty. But then I became really grateful because during every trailer, when they showed the title of the movie, he said it out loud to himself. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so glad I got to witness this because the one I remember most is the whole trailer plays. And then he just goes, huh, Judy. (laughs) and i will never forget it and i love him and i was so glad he booked a seat so close to me i miss the theater going experience 
I miss movie yeah. theater so much. I want to get yelled at for talking during trailers, which happens to me on a regular <laughs> basis. <laughs> Someday. We will return. And hopefully, that is when Tenet comes out. Hopefully. Also, if they figure out the whole antibodies thing, there's a decent chance I have it right now, so maybe I'll be able to feel okay. Oh. We will see. Stay home, people. All right. Well, I'm really enjoying this cold open and have no desire to talk about the movie, but I guess we should start the episode. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm incredibly disappointed. And I'm Will, and I really thought this would be a more fun experience than it was. (laughs) This is a podcast dedicated to exploring one of the most important, unimportant questions of our day, namely, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And how does a movie like this get made in 2015? And why was it allowed to be shown in theaters? And also, are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if every female character in the movie is an afterthought. We will dig in and see what it has to offer us. Now, back in February, on our episode on To All the Boys I Loved Before, we had an extended conversation about the hot tub in which Lara Jean does not have sex with Noah Centineo, despite what the viral video suggests. We made a bunch of jokes about that, and we talked about how weird it was that Hollywood made two movies about a hot tub time machine. And we thought it would be funny to do an episode on the second one, with none of us having seen the first one. So that's what we're doing. None of us has seen the original hot tub time machine, and instead we are here, unfortunately, to discuss Hot Tub Time Machine 2. So, I had heard that Hot Tub Time Machine was funnier than you would expect a movie called Hot Tub Time Machine to be. Hot Tub Time Machine 2, on the other hand, is maybe worse than Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. No, it's worse than Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. It is now the worst movie we have watched for this show. So this is what my thought process has been over the course of today is, is this now the worst one? And I think it is. Because while this movie is not as misanthropic as Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, it is... A, quite a bit more recent, and so the ways in which it just carelessly treats human beings as jokes and also fails to function as a story are more upsetting. So I know Mark had mentioned this as well, but I, about five minutes into the movie, was ready for it to be over. So at the very beginning, I was kind of having a good time because I was like, it starts with this montage of the characters clearly updating on what has happened since the first movie, which again, none of us saw. And I was like, I feel like this would make sense if I had watched the first movie. So I can't knock this one for that. Like I was willing to roll with that opening montage, but then the rest of the movie just was aggressively unfun. I'm very upset that you guys made me watch this, but I'm also glad that you two are the people I'm experiencing this with. We've been through a lot together. I wrote it down. There is literally one joke in this movie that even kind of landed with me. And it was the idea of a TV show called Celebrity Subpoena. <laughs> yeah. Because I think the idea of celebrities actually showing up at someone's house and saying you've got served is kind of funny. It is pretty funny. But also, like, if I want to see absurd pitches for TV shows, I can watch 30 Rock. Yeah. Yeah. The only part about this movie I liked was that Camille Nanjiani was in it. I was not happy with that because I was mad at every single person for being involved. And I kind of dislike them a little bit more because of it. They are all stained. 
stained. Every person in this movie is stained <laughs> by their presence. So one of the weird things about this is that it comes so much later than the original. Like, comedy sequels are usually pretty close together. The original Hot Tub Time Machine opens in 2010. This one doesn't come out until February 2015. So there's a pretty big gap there. And one of the weird things that happens is all of the leads are in wildly different places in their career. Like, when the first one comes out, Clark Duke is not yet on The Office. By the time this one comes out, The Office has been over for two years. Craig Robinson is in a similar boat in terms of The Office ending. You know, Jason Jones was on The Daily Show when it started, and by the time the second one comes out, Jon Stewart is leaving. And so it does, among other things, feel like this movie took so long to be made that everyone winds up looking even worse for still being in it. The problem is... I want to know if Hot Tub Time Machine, the original, which has John Cusack in it, is as just reliant on the worst forms of humor to make its jokes. Because I looked at a couple reviews for this, and they were all basically like, this is nowhere near as fun as the original. And I'm curious if it was that the jokes from the original just aged poorly. Like, in 2010, you could get away with things that you couldn't get away with in 2015. Or if the actual content of the movie slipped entirely. But at the same time, I have no desire to revisit the universe of Hot Tub Time Machine. Right. And this movie kind of tries to have it both ways, where this is a time travel movie. It largely takes place in the future, in 2025. And in it, people make jokes about how it's absurd for the characters to like feel gay panic and so the movie tries to get away with hanging tons of scenes on gay panic jokes by being like that's dumb but like you don't get to play it both ways no the amount of just gay panic that happens in this movie is ridiculous how often it keeps coming up and it's like it's 2015 you can't center a third of the movie's humor on this because it's just also not funny. Like, yeah. it's not done in a way that's funny at all. The joke is that it's gross to have sex with another man. And that is the bedrock recurring joke of the movie that comes up again and again. It's incredibly tired. And like I said, the movie tries to like act like it's making fun of the characters for feeling that way. But it's really not because it's trying to get shock value out of the suggestion of homosexual sex. You're giving it more credit than I am because I didn't even feel like it was that much making fun of the characters. There were like two moments where future people made comments about the characters being dumb for feeling gay panic. But those characters themselves seemed to be laughing at the main guys. Yeah. Also, just to get away from that and discuss the fact that sexual assault is a central joke of this movie too, and harassment, uh, we need to address the fact that one of the main characters, his nickname is The Violator, and in the first five minutes, he sexually harasses the only woman on the board of his company. Yep. And there were multiple rape jokes. I was like, what year is it? Like, I was in college in 2015, and I remember this era, and these kinds of jokes were not the bedrock of a film. Even if a movie might cringely have, like, one, the fact that these jokes were the cornerstone that they kept going back to was just shocking to me and i didn't even understand it like they must have known that this isn't funny and i think there's some evidence that the studio was aware that they had a dud because this movie like we said came out several years after the original it was scheduled at first to be the christmas day like big comedy release for paramount are you serious 
Yes. The plan was to put this out on Christmas Day 2014. But you couldn't even bring your kids to this. Well, no, you do it as counter-programming. Oh. So, like, a lot of people are going to see Big Hero 6, I think was out that year. And if you're, like, a college kid who doesn't want to go with your family to see that, then you and your friends back in town for Christmas break go see Hot Tub Time Machine 2. That's the thinking behind it. And, like, that kind of thing can work where, for example, like, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle did incredibly, incredibly well as a Christmas release. This movie, though, in October, just two months before it was supposed to come out, got pushed to February, traditionally a dumping ground for bad movies. So the studio realized they had something that was a piece of crap. I don't know how anyone could watch this and not feel like it's a huge piece of crap. (laughs) I mean, audiences largely agreed with you. The movie did not make back its money, and it only cost $14 million to make and was a sequel to a popular movie. Oh my god. I've already blacked out most of this movie from my brain. It only grossed $13 million. Um... The Razzies are a grumpy and obnoxious group that really aren't worth mentioning. The Golden Raspberries for worst movies. You just pay to be a member and it's mostly people who are bitterly making jokes. Not at the actual worst movies, but at movies that the culture decided was bad or were fun to make fun of. But it is worth noting, this movie was nominated for the Razzie for worst prequel, remake, ripoff, or sequel, but lost to the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie. Chevy Chase was also nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. (laughs) I forgot he was in it until you said that. I think that was more tacked on because he's simultaneously nominated for his performance in the Ed Helms Vacation movie. And I'm assuming he was a character in the first Hot Tub Time Machine and had to make an appearance. He must have been because he's wearing a jacket for a ski lodge. Right. And it's implied in dialogue that that is where the hot tub originally was. Right. Also speaking on the reception of this movie... This was one of three movies specifically cited by GLAAD in their like end-of-year write-up on the film industry for outright offensive depictions of LGBT people. And the other two were Kevin Hart movies. Mm. That tracks. Yeah. Yep. I'm just so confused. Like, I just don't get how anyone read this script. And there's new people brought in. Like, Adam Scott's not in the first one. I don't think Kumail Nanjiani is in the first one. And I know that, like, you might be worried about money. And I guess I should be, like, somewhat aware of the struggle of being an actor. But how do you read this script and say yes? I really have no idea. And, like, Adam Scott and Kumail Nanjiani are in very different points in their career when this comes out. Where Adam Scott is pretty deep into his run on Parks and Rec. Whereas for Kumail... They're like two seasons into Silicon Valley, which isn't that widely seen. Yeah, it's just shocking. Like the whole movie. And the other thing is, it's shocking and it's not entertaining in any way. Like, it's not even like these jokes are funny. Right, it's an incredibly dull and obnoxious movie. I was so bored. That's the thing is, it's even narratively lazy where like, the hook of the movie is a murder mystery. Like... This should be pretty interesting as they try to figure out who killed Lou from the future, but they spend so little time actually working on that and so much time like wandering around dumb future, I'm not even going to call them hijinks, like dumb future circumstances that half the time you forget why they're there. Like the movie has no narrative momentum. None. And sometimes the joke is just like, they did drugs. Okay. (laughs) And I mean, like now I'm speaking from the future, but 
In 2019, we had both Booksmart and Dora and the Lost City of Gold showing great ways to do drug trip sequences, whereas this one is just like, he made a phone call. He kissed a lady. Are you telling me Dora the Explorer went on a drug trip? I'm telling you Dora the Explorer wandered into a field of flowers and her vision turned into cartoons. Okay. Dora and the Lost City of Gold, fun movie, great drug trip sequence. Is that like also a Wizard of Oz reference just sprinkled in with the fact that she falls asleep in a poppy field? I think so. It sounds like it, yeah. So I think one thing that's worth noting about this movie and the first one is that they are both directed by Steve Pink, who is an old Chicago friend of John Cusack's and is a partner in Cusack's production company. He has screenplay credits on both Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity. And so it kind of seems like he is a guy who has made his career by being friends with John Cusack. Because... He's only directed one well-reviewed movie, uh, which is about last night. And even on that, the consensus was like, the actors are really good, but the material isn't. It's like John Peters. The most hated people in Hollywood are the people that are just there because they know someone. Yeah, but here's the difference, is that there's a million good stories about John Peters. Yeah. Like, fun for us who don't have to work with him. (laughs) That is true. Like, he was so determined to put aliens in The Witches of Eastwick that he hired an actor to show up on set in an alien costume and told George Miller, just put him in a scene. And he, doesn't he, like, own Superman somehow? I think it's Batman. He, like, at some (laughs) point when nobody wanted it, bought the film rights to Batman. So he is a credited producer on every Batman movie, even though nobody wants to work with him and nobody making those movies listens to him. But, like, he gets a chunk of money for everyone. Yeah, he's, like, the most hated person in Hollywood. And he has been ever since he became a producer on A Star Is Born. Yeah, and all he did was do Barbara Streisand's hair and then start dating her. I mean, that's a career path, I guess. Oh, God. He bought the film rights to Superman in the early 90s. Oh, okay. So was Superman. Yeah, so now he produced Superman Returns, Man of Steel, and then, oh my god, he was banned from the Man of Steel set by Christopher Nolan. Yep, that checks out. I cannot imagine two producers less suited to interact with one another. He is involved in the planned adaptation of the Sandman comics, and Neil Gaiman openly hates him. Everyone openly hates him. I love it. And you know what? He doesn't seem to really care. No, he really just doesn't. Uh, again, you can find us finding anything else to talk about besides this movie. <laughs> um, I think we probably should, though, just yeah. so we can get it done. I'm watching First Cow after this, so I want to enjoy a good movie. <laughs> Actually, genuinely, I watched Michael Clayton this afternoon, and I had a hard time enjoying it because I was still so angry about this from last night. I've been dreading this all day, having to talk about it. <laughs> I watched it today, and I'm just, I'm probably going to have to watch something on TV that's just i don't know if i can touch movies again for a while (laughs) oh i played a bunch of assassin's creed after watching the movie just so i could like cathartically like run across rooftops and murder people that sounds like a good idea i guess we should just start breaking down the points so every week we break down the romantic plot line of a movie into five key points i believe fiona did them this week so glad mercifully so we did not have to so glad i didn't have to do that and I guess we should just quickly run through the plot of this movie because the romance and every woman character is incidental, unfilled out, and a either kind of naggy or a sex object. Yes. And again, to clarify, if we misunderstand something, none of us watched the first one. Correct. And a good sequel would still make sense. Like Paddington 2. Precisely. Yeah. 
I watched Paddington 2 before seeing Paddington 1 and understood every moment. This movie Absolutely. I watched, I think I understood saw it five nothing. times before seeing Paddington 1. Yep. So this movie is about three friends. I think originally it was four. The fourth one is John Cusack, just not involved in the movie. So he did shoot some stuff that's in the unrated version of this movie. As far as I could tell, the only place he shows up is at the end of the movie when Continental Soldier Rob Corddry shows up and murders douchebag Rob Corddry. In the unrated version, that is John Cusack in a colonial army uniform. What more could you do to make this unrated? There's already a full shot of a penis in the film. Was there I... really? Wait. Oh. Oh, maybe I. We may have seen different. Maybe, maybe watched I watched the unrated, the unrated version. version. I did not see because that. I watched it through the TNT app. I watched it on Amazon Prime. Well, then, Fiona, you should have seen the full version. Yeah. No, I didn't see unrated. I didn't see a penis. So you didn't see the boardroom scene where Lou says, turn around to the woman on the board. And when she turns around, there's a man's dick and balls, as Lou says in the window. Um, I don't think so. I saw the sequence, but I don't think I saw the penis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in there. Like I said, I tried to block out a lot of this movie already. But I don't remember that. So I guess I did see the unrated version, which is why I was thinking, how could this movie be more unrated? I was really hoping that I would wind up seeing like a censored for TV version so it would be faster by watching it on TNT. But I think I did not. I don't know. I just found it for free on Xfinity. So I just watched it there. But yeah, so the movie starts at a party. Lou gets shot and they go into the future. It does this like catch up on where they've been since the last movie. Apparently like Craig Robinson, who plays Nick, has stolen a bunch of artists' great songs by writing them before those artists did. So now he's rich from that. And Lou, played by Rob Corddry, invented Google before Google was a thing. So now he's really rich. Uh, he invented Lugal. Right. Which is such a and stupid it, name. Clark Duke is his son, but there's only 14 years difference between Rob Gordry and Clark Duke. Like, it's the same difference between Diane Keaton and Meg Ryan. And I just watched a movie where they play sisters, and that also didn't make sense. 14 years difference is like, you can be maybe cousins. You could be siblings. Yeah, but it feel it feels like the kind of thing you then need to explain. Yeah. Yeah, so Lou gets shot in the dick at the party, and they try and time travel to the past to stop it happening, but they end up in the future somehow, and then they have to solve the crime there, and then they meet. He's kind of related. They go looking for John Cusack, and they can't find him, and instead they find his son, like, John Cusack's son with Rob Corddry's sister? Uh, n- Yes. Oh. I think somehow they are related. Somehow Adam and Lou are related. Yeah. Lou is Adam's uncle and Plop is his cousin. Fiona, are you going to call Clark Duke Plop through this whole episode? Yes, I am. (laughs) I don't know him as anything else. I don't even remember his name in the movie. Yeah, I just know him as Plop. I feel like it started with a J. Jake? Jacob. Uh, well, yeah. I, he is still plop to me. So you're going with the derisive nickname he was given in his one season of The Office. Yes. Okay. So they're like in the future trying to solve the murder mystery. And eventually it turns out that it was Adam Scott who tried to kill him for having sex with Jillian Jacobs. On the night of Adam Scott and Jillian Jacobs' wedding. Gillian Jacobs. God, I this don't think movie I knew is... it was a hard G. I think it's Gillian Jacobs. I believe you. She shows up on Comedy Bang Bang every so often. 
So that's uh, where yeah. I hear her name. I think she married Gary Marshall in an episode of Comedy Bang Bang, as oh, played by Paul F. Tompkins. No, as played by Paul F. Tompkins. I mean, if so, she had to have had like, we, look, we love Gary Marshall, but good gold digging timing, because he died a couple of years ago, and she wouldn't have been in a position to marry him until a couple of years ago. Is she divorced? Yeah, now? Gillian Jacobs. Yeah. She yeah, was I don't never th- married to Gary Marshall. No, no, I know, but she was married to the other, some other guy. I don't think she was ever married. Yeah, 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 because she did that show called Love. Wasn't that on a TV show? No, I thought she made that show with her actual husband. Uh, there is nothing on her personal life section of Wikipedia about being married. Yeah. Hmm. No, I don't Maybe think I she's... Mis- I could have sworn. She's never been married, according to the internet. Okay. But she is 37? Yeah. She's been around for a while. I know, but she just looks so good. Community also premiered 11 years ago, Mark. Shut the f*** up, Will. (laughs) How? 2009 was a long time ago. How dare you? I even, like, I'm pretty sure I watched it as it was on. Yeah, you were alive 11 years ago. And I was, like, 14. Time needs to just take a break. This is good, because last time Fiona was on, we heckled her about her age, because she is, like, in the marriage pact zone, according to my best friend's <laughs> wedding. And now Mark is uh, having an existential crisis about Jillian Jacobs' age, and I'm just happy-go-lucky. Well, good for you. Yeah. Should we talk about these points? Yeah. Yeah. Fiona, you're the guest. You take us through it. I already got most of my complaining out about the movie, so, like, let's just wrap it up. No one ever watched this film. I decided to take it easy on you guys. There's no point zero. Thank goodness. Point zero is the first movie and none of us watched it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So there's really not a whole lot of romance in this movie. So each point for the first four is about a different couple. And then the fifth one is just the resolution. So point one is that plop meets the- Again, Clark Duke (laughs) Jacob. Yeah. Meets the coat check girl at Lou's party. You're a fucking nerd. nerd. You're a fucking nerd. nerd. No one likes you. I believe her name is Sophie. Yeah. And Plop slash Clark Duke slash Jacob is Lou's son, but he is not treated with love. He is basically Lou's butler. And Sophie can tell that he is the butler based on his outfit. Um, but he's like, yo, you're really pretty. Maybe we could go out. And she tells him there is absolutely no chance. When they go into the future, we find out that they do get together, but they're kind of in a rocky spot in their relationship because she really wants him to stop doing drugs so that he won't end up like his dad, but he keeps going back to his old habits. She is the one who greets them topless when they arrive in the future, right? Yes. Yes. She gets plenty of time to be treated as a sex object by this garbage fire of a movie. Yep. And that is point number one. That is all about them. It's worth noting. Sophie is played by Bianca Haas, who doesn't have much else on her IMDb page. She's done a couple single episodes of TV, but this is the highest profile thing she's done. Well, that's kind of sad. Should I make it my life's goal to talk to every person involved in this movie and just ask them why? Sure. The thing is, that requires you to think so much about this movie. I don't know if it does, because, well, I guess when I have to listen to their answers. (laughs) Or you could just record them, not listen, and then put it out there for anyone else to listen to. 
If anyone could get me in touch with any of the lead actor's agents, <laughs> I would like to start there and just ask why. And if they show me... No, no, Mark. You want to talk to their publicist. The publicist. And if they show me just a check stub that is large enough, I will shrug, nod, and disrespect them still, but move on. But it has to be quite a large number. Yeah, I, j- I wonder if contracts for the first one had sequel options. Well, if John Cusack could get out of it, I don't know why the others couldn't have. Well, I guess because then they would have just Because shut- he was a producer. Oh. Yeah. Wait, is he a producer on this one? I think he is. Well, then he's lumped in with all the rest of them. Yeah, he's no better. I would love to do an interview with, like, Kumail Nanjiani and talk about the big sick and all the good stuff. And then just casually at the end, just be like, so you were in Hot Tub Time Machine too? Why? <laughs> you f***ing idiot. I would like do to be present women for women and gay people? I think it is exactly the kind of thing that he would not do today. Yes. And I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but at that point, like, felt much less sure of his career. I know. I understand all this, but it's just... No, I agree with you. I mean, I like to think that were I in those circumstances, I would not do it. This movie makes so many fourth wall jokes that are so bad. and yeah, I'm they're not good. S- I'm someone who can usually get gotten by a even mediocre fourth wall joke. But in this one, they all just ruined what little flow the movie had. I mean, Rob Corddry making jokes about The Daily Show isn't that funny. No. Like, they think we'll have a good yuck about, oh yeah, he was on The Daily Show. Jason Jones was on The Daily Show. But it's not clever. They also have a line that's like, don't mess with a winning formula. And I wrote down the line and then just wrote, fuck you, to the movie. (laughs) But anyway, sorry. Point two, Um, I guess. Point two is Adam and Jill. Adam played by Adam Scott, Jill by Gillian Jacobs. Guys, meet Jill. Jill, meet the guys. We're getting married this weekend. Uh, Me and Jill, not me and you guys. (laughs) Stop it. You're going to make milk come out of my nose. Milk? What milk? I had milk earlier. Oh. We meet them in the future, and they are engaged. Their wedding is this weekend, coming up. They've been dating for 10 years. Oh, I missed that somehow. Okay. They're very chipper together. They, they are. They really, really are. They've got, like, weird sayings that they do together. It's weird. But anyways, uh, so Adam, it, he goes with the, the guys. I think they're trying to find his dad. Because they think that his dad might be the one who tried to kill Lou. Right. And... Adam Scott is excited to meet his dad. So he's like, I got to go with them. And Jill is like, of course you do. It's your dad. So they go and they end up at a club where Adam gets a ladybug patch put on his neck. It's like a direct infusion drug. Yeah. He has a wild trip. Uh, While he's on this drug, he calls Jill and he says that he thinks his whole life has been a lie, which she is not happy with the night before their wedding. Uh, He also goes on the popular tv show choosy doozy uh where he ends up having to replace lou and having sex with nick in vr uh choosy doozy is jill's favorite tv show though so she sees the whole thing the movie uses it as a vehicle to have a bunch of gay panic jokes yes she's upset with adam and the next day when she's getting ready for her wedding she's really upset that he got to blow off some steam the night before the wedding and why didn't she do that she is always staying calm about things and so to get back at adam she has sex with lou this is then what prompts adam to go back in time and shoot lou which is what we've been trying to figure out the whole time but it's worth noting it is also possible because lou just wanders through this movie as a lecherous monster looking to have sex with anything that moves yeah and so Like, he's prepared to jump on Jill even before she makes this decision. 
And just a reminder, his nickname is The Violator. And there are also just straight up rape jokes being made in this movie. Yep. What a film. And like the movie is trying to signal that he is a bad guy and that he's very vain. He's got this giant painting in his foyer of him having sex with a tiger. But again, this is a case where the movie is trying to lampoon the character, look how vain he is, but also make rape jokes and things like that. And it can't have it both ways. Yeah. All right. So the next point is Nick. When I'm laying down in the sun, I put on some lotion. No, 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 no. Turn the radio on, turn the radio up, and this woman. Let's be set. And we really don't see a whole lot about his relationship, but in the beginning, when they're walking into Lou's party, they're having a fight over whether or not they should go to the Grammys. And it seems to be like they really just do whatever he wants and his wife is kind of tired of this and kind of the ridiculousness of his life and when they end up going into the future someone apologizes to nick about his marriage and he finds out that in the future they're divorced he is also a joke because he has tearfully admitted to having stolen all the music that made him famous which doesn't make sense to anybody but then he puts out his own song called the weber shuffle which everyone makes fun of and it's like a viral meme yeah. To be mocked. And everyone's really happy to see him so that they can watch him do the shuffle in person. Is that like a Gangnam Style joke? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Or Cupid Shuffle. Like the Weber Shuffle feels closer to the Cupid Shuffle, but it feels like he occupies a cultural space like the Gangnam Style guy. I think you're probably he's like right. known for doing one dance that people mimic themselves. I went to the ice festival in Harbin, China in 2013 and i saw a snow sculpture of sai that was at least three stories tall and it haunts me to this day like that's the kind of thing that should be in a future movie not like a fleshlight that looks like a piece of paper god i forgot about that i forgot about that i watched this movie only hours ago and i forgot so much because it's just so unfunny yeah it is incredibly tired Uh, Can we move on to another point? Sure. Point number four is about Lou. Life is about do-overs, okay? And if you see your second chance peeking its dick around a corner, snatch it. Grab it. Take my advice. Look at the people you love most in this world and you tell them to go fuck themselves because life is about number one. So in the beginning of the movie, he's married to his high school girlfriend, uh, and their relationship seems to consist of telling each other how much they hate each other. And they do a lot of drugs together and, you know. And then when they go into the future, we find out that they have gotten divorced because his wife had decided to go to rehab and get clean, and she's now working as a nurse, and Lou had refused to go along with that, so they broke up. It is worth noting, tying back to earlier, his wife Kelly is played by Colette Wolfe, who is in Interstellar. Ah, Okay. Did you guys see the scene where Adam's balls expand full of nanobots oh and then get pierced? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. yes, we did. I didn't know if that was in the unrated version only. because Ugh. Oh no, that one was on TV. I hated that. That was maybe one of the worst moments in film. The worst is Choosy Doozy. The worst because is Because it's so doozy. long. Yeah. That's clearly the worst, but just like... In addition, that scene was just so painful because they thought it was so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's going for like full on raunch com, but it's so dull. Yeah. All right. So point five, I guess. Yep. 
is when they manage to get their way back to the present in 2015. I'm gonna shoot you in the dick so you can't fuck anyone else's wife! Technically, you all aren't married yet, so she's not your wife. Yes, she is! Adam, I hate to be a stickler, but you guys haven't even met yet. It's 2015. Shut the fuck up! Come Knowing that Adam is going to kill Lou. So they stop Adam just in time, and the painting ends up getting shot instead. This is the painting of Rob Corddry having sex with a tiger. Correct. So Lou gets to live. He and his wife together decide to go to rehab. Uh, Nick decides that he is not going to make his wife go to the Grammys, and she's really happy about that. Plop, I already forgot his real name, tells- Clark Duke Clark plays Duke. Jacob. <laughs> yeah. He tells Sophie that he's seen their future and it looks bright, and she hesitates for a second and then kisses That's not him. actually what he says. He says it's a disaster, oh. but for a while it's really great. He's like, I know it ends as a nightmare, but come with me for the ride. Yeah, so she agrees to go along with that. And then Adam meets Jill, who happened to be working at the party. So they get together because of his attempt to murder Rob Corddry. Yep. God, I hated this movie. It's a piece of poop. It's like director Steve Pink took a dump on my TV (laughs) and like smeared it around. And then I had to watch Michael Clayton through that smeared poop because I couldn't stop thinking about this movie. I didn't pay any money directly to watch this movie, and I want them to give me restitution. (laughs) Like, for emotional distress. Well, someone in my family paid for it. I'm not sure who. I don't know who's... I don't know when when you rent something on Amazon Prime, I don't know whose credit card that goes to. I will Great. I will pay whoever it was, but I don't someone paid for it. Alright, y'all. After watching all of this drek, do you find the romance believable? Let's start by saying romance is a generous term for the appalling relationships we witness in this movie. Do we have to take into account the time travel? I mean, we have to acknowledge the rules of the movie as it exists. Okay. So that doesn't make it any less believable. Right, the time travel doesn't make it less believable. Like, I mean, if we take some of these relationships, the time travel does make it weird because I do believe in many of the relationships as they progress up to the original 2025. Like, I believe that Lou, a terrible person, that his wife would divorce him. I believe that the same thing would happen to Nick. I don't know that I believe what happens with Jacob and Sophie. Nick's is the most believable, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And then Lou's kind of makes sense. But Adam and Jill, because she meets him after his attempted murder, which she knows. Like, she saw that happen. That's true. And then whatever the f*** Jacob said, it made no sense. So I don't understand why those two got together. Yeah. So it's it's not a zero, but it doesn't score high. No. So I think this movie's, I think it might be like, is it a four? Is it, is it that high? It might be a four just because especially the Nick storyline, it's like he starts the Nick storyline holds in an unhappy relationship. He goes to the future, sees that they got divorced, the logical conclusion, then goes back in time and makes up with his wife and the two of them seem happier. Yeah. Right. That's quite plausible. And then the loose storyline of like he doesn't go to rehab, but then he goes to the future. They're divorced. He's unhappy about it. He goes back in time and they work it out and stay together again. Seems believable. So if two out of four are believable, but the ones that are unbelievable are really unbelievable, then I feel like four is probably right. Yeah, I think four is where it lands. Now, I think I might have some guess of what you guys will say. Do you think any of the characters in this movie are dateable? So of the ones involved in those four relationships, I would say 
Nick is is Nick the most? Nick is the most, but he's also he's not the, yeah. dateable. Right. He's not at all attentive to Courtney's needs for decades, it seems. Right. Yeah, I guess. But if you end had of to mo- choose. End of movie Nick does seem to have made some progress. Yeah. Yeah. But then he goes gallivanting through time, through the credits, to save American history. Uh, I did not. I have to admit, I did not watch the credits. I watched the first two, and I was like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I watched it, and I thought it was stupid. They saved Lincoln. They landed on the moon. Clark Duke had sex with Marilyn Monroe. Um, Nick was at the March on Washington. It's weird that they saved Lincoln, but U.S. history seems unchanged. Yeah. This movie cares so little about time travel for a movie about a time machine. Yeah. If you did have to pick one person to date, who would you choose? Uh, I think I'm going to date Jessica Williams. She's always been cool, and now she's the host of The Daily Show. Yes, but now I'm also kind of more disappointed at Jessica Williams because she chose to be in this movie. Fair. So uh, this one's tough because this movie, everyone makes me sick for them being in this movie. But I guess Jessica Williams is probably the only option, isn't she? Fiona, what do you think? Um, as a character, I still think Camille Nanjiani is all right. Yeah, I okay. guess he's... He's contemplated murder. He has, but he... he Everyone would. He doesn't I really contem- plan on acting on it. I contemplated murder watching this movie. Also, he actually invented time travel. He's pretty smart. That is true. And he did it without hitting his head while getting up from the toilet and having a vision of a flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible. Yeah. Sure. Do you think any of the couples will stay together? I think that Nick and Courtney have the best chance. I agree. I don't know that any of the others will. Nick seems to genuinely care about Courtney. And that's the best I can say of any character in this movie. I have zero faith in Lou not to relapse. Yeah. But Plop and Sophie, we know, don't, so. And they're entering into it with the plan not to. Correct. Yeah. And then Adam and Jill, I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? I just don't care. All right. Do you guys think this movie should be made into a musical like several of the others? No. No, no this movie should be not. buried underground and burned. I never want to hear the name of this movie again. This should be like the E.T. video game where they take all physical copies of it and bury it in Arizona. I think they need to throw it directly into the giant pit of burning natural gas that's in like Tajikistan. That's just a continuous fire that's been burning for 45 years. Yep. Let's do that. All right. Well, I think that does it. This movie is awful. Never watch it. Yes, absolutely not. It's our new worst movie we have ever done. (laughs) I wish we had known that before we decided to fulfill this promise. Sometimes our commitment to bits bites us in the ass. Speaking of fulfilling on promises, next week we will be completing (laughs) our exploration of the Best Picture nominees of 1967 by looking at Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger in the film In the Heat of the Night. It is the one of the five that I know the least about, and it's the one that won, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love to Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovetolovepod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find us and learn about our terrible commitment to bits that I regret. All right, last question, Fiona. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Hot Tub Time Machine 2? Don't have sex with your future husband's uncle the night before your wedding because he might turn into a murderous man.
Is that really applicable to anyone? <laughs> no. I have actual advice. I yeah, me do too. Things that your partner wants to do. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I was like, that's what Nick does. I was gonna say the same thing. Like, the movie actually does have decent advice in that you should take time to spend one-on-one quality time with your partner to ensure that your relationship stays strong and you listen to each other. Yeah, for the worst movie we've ever covered, it has some decent dating advice. Well, (laughs) there you go. Until next time, I'm Gay. And I'm a Ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Bye.